Good morning. Sorry, that's loud. It's good to be with you. It's good to uh, to see Harry up here. I knew uh, I knew Harry when he was in college. I thought for sure you'd have on boots. Do you even wear those anymore? Okay, not so much. He looks good in boots. All right. Uh, as Harrison said, I have a wife. Her name is Kristen. We've been married for five years. Uh, she was not able to be here. We also have a five-month-old baby. I, I hope he stopped crying by now. He's at home, um, and his name is Thomas. And thank you for your support of RUF at Birmingham Southern. Uh, it was great to hear John speak. We, I also have a 50-year plan for RUF at Birmingham Southern, and we can't do that without financial support and prayers. So thank you for this church. Uh, I invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. I get to work with college students, and college students, one of the fun things about working on a college campus is that they ask fantastic questions, really important and deep, profound questions like, what does Jesus say about the debt ceiling? Or can Christians read Harry Potter? Or can I smoke? Or does Jesus want me to date this girl? Um, They do ask better questions than that. But one question that I really wish this thing moves. (laughs) One thing I wish that they would ask is, what does the Bible say about emotions. I really wish that they would ask me, what does Jesus say? What does Christianity have to say about sadness? What does the Bible have anything to say about anger? Um, That's just not a question that gets asked very much. And in, in my very brief time as a Christian, and even shorter as a pastor, In the Christian church, I've discovered something, and that is is that we don't talk a whole lot about the emotions of sadness and anger. And with one exception, and that's in the middle of a severe trial or tragedy. That's all of the teaching I have received in my life about how I'm supposed to think about grief and sadness and anger and other emotions is when I'm sitting in the middle of a crisis. And I do need it. Absolutely. That's a really good time for me to get it. But is that the best time for us to get it? I I would liken this to sending our soldiers into battle with a drill instructor. And as the bullets are whizzing by their head, the drill instructor shouting instructions for how to shoot back. Now, that's really important information, and and they're allowed to ask questions, and they need the information in the moment. But is that the best time? And so the Army actually came up with a brilliant idea of basic training where in peacetime they actually train our soldiers how to fight so that when the battle does come, they have the resources to think clearly and react. I am assuming... I've been long, alive long enough to know that some of you 
sitting here this morning are in the middle of a very significant trial. I, I, I know that. I know that some of you in here are sitting in the worst battle that you've had to face, that you never thought you would be fighting. But I also would, would guess that some, if not many of you, are, are in peacetime. Summer's been good. You've been to the pool. You've been to the beach. Um, work. You've been able to work hard, but you've, had, you've been able to take some time off. I, I would guess that some of us in here would, would say our lives are currently in peacetime. So this morning, I would actually like for us just for a few minutes to, to talk in uh, basic training um, about how we're supposed to think about sadness and grief and anger and what does the Bible actually say about them. And the place that we're going to look is the hymnal for God's people in the Old Testament, the Psalms. And uh, before I read this psalm, I... There's no way that any of us are going to be able to relate to what is being said. But if for just a moment you could consider what it would be like for a foreign enemy to, to, uh, to enter our country and completely destroy our city and take some of us captive, enslaved, and take us to a foreign land where nothing is familiar and nothing seems Right. I don't know what that would be like for some of our loved ones to be killed and to be taken against our will to a foreign land. But if for one moment you could step into that feeling, it would help us understand Psalm 137. So read along with me. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept. When we remembered Zion, there on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you. If I don't consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O oh Lord, what the Edomites did on that day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O oh daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This is God's word. This morning, I simply want to do two things. I want to look at what the psalmist who is writing this does with the emotions of sadness and anger. And then I want to consider what our response ought to be today to those emotions. And we'll see in this psalm that in each one of these emotions, they're honest about them. They pray their emotions to God and they remember. They're honest, they pray, and they remember. So first, let's look at, for a moment, sadness, the emotion of grief and sadness. And we see 
that they are honest and admitting their sadness. If you look with me at verse one, it says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept. It does not say we cried. It did not say that we teared up. It says that we collapsed to the ground and we wept. This psalm is a what, what we would call a community lament. And I know that we don't use the word lament much in the English language, but it is a corporate expression, a passionate expression of grief. That's what the word means. It's where we get uh, the name of another book of the Bible, Lamentations. It's a passionate expression of grief, and that's what Psalm 137 is. At this point, I think it would be helpful for us to have a bit of context for why these people have collapsed to the ground in sadness. And simply put, they're a long way from home. I I actually deal with 18-year-olds every year on the college campus that know a little bit about what this is like. And if you've ever had to move because of a job, if you've ever uh, ended up in a foreign place where nothing was familiar, then you have a sense of what this is. But they're a long way from home. If If you've read the Old Testament and you've read the book of Daniel, you're familiar with the people of Babylon. They are one of the enemies of God's people in the Old Testament. They were a superpower, one of the most hated enemies, and they are responsible, as I alluded to earlier, of entering into Jerusalem, tearing it to the ground and taking some of God's people out of Israel and taking them back to their land. And some of those people are writing these words. The people that have been taken out of Israel are the ones that are writing These words, they're the captives, they're enslaved by the Babylonians. And so I just want us to see this, this song is brutally honest. By the rivers of Babylon, our captors ridiculed us by making us sing our songs and we could not do it. So we hung up our instruments and we collapsed in the ground and we wept. The psalmist is honest about sadness. Secondly, the psalmist prays their sadness. They don't vent it to the nearest listener. They don't stuff it inside. They pray it to God. If you see in verse 7, it says, Remember, O Lord. One of the early church fathers, a guy named St. Ambrose, said that the psalms are a gymnasium for prayer. Basically what he meant was is that you go to the psalms to work out your prayer life. The psalmist takes his sadness and he prays it to God. There are others. I won't read them. But if you want to look at them later, Psalm 89, Psalm 102, Psalm 42. These are emotional songs of grief and sadness. Our culture around us says to vent our sadness. Get it out. It'll make you feel better. And what's interesting is, is that our church actually says just the opposite. Stuff it inside. God is good all the time. Smile. Don't let it out. And instead, the psalmist prays it. The psalmist is honest. The psalmist prays sadness. And then thirdly and shortly, the psalmist remembers, thinks back to, recalls to mind Jerusalem. 
Look at verse 2. They hang up their instruments, for there our captors asked us for songs. They said, they're ridiculing them at this point. Sing us one of the songs. Sing us one of your songs. And what do they say? How could we sing one of our songs in a foreign land? You know, Tolkien, when he wrote The Lord of the Rings, was not just a genius. He actually knew his Bible. And, and there is a perfect picture of this in, if you've seen the movies, the third movie where one of the hobbits is sitting with the uh, evil king. And the king says, why don't you sing one of your songs from your land? And he says, you know, he says, there are no songs for times such as this. The psalmist remembers the goodness of Zion. Well, what about anger? We've looked at sadness. What about anger? What does the psalmist do with anger? Well, first we'll see that they're honest in admitting it. In Psalm 137, the captives were ridiculed. They demanded him to play, and, and you see that they get angry. And if you look at verses 7 through 9, this taunting is, is they've had enough. And we see anger welling up against this heartless enemy. And, and they say, Babylon, you who are doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you did to us. Let's see how you handle someone doing to your babies what you did to ours. You hear the raw emotion. It's welling up almost to the point where I assume when I read this, some of you heard that last verse and thought, what is this doing in the Bible? It is raw emotion and the psalmist is honest about it. Secondly, the psalmist prays. Their anger. And at this point, I want to make a very important distinction. In Psalm 137, there's a very specific kind of anger. The anger in Psalm 137 is not anger over traffic. This is not anger over annoying neighbors. This is not anger over a difficult spouse that won't change. This is not anger over disobedient children. This is anger over injustice. It's very significant that we see that. This is what some would call righteous anger. It's anger over sin, evil, and injustice. And what does the psalmist do? They pray to God. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Apparently the Edomites were the neighbors of the Israelites and when, Bab when the Babylonians came in and tore Jerusalem to the ground, we know that the Edomites just stood by and watched. And just joined in and said, tear it down, tear it down. And we see the, the psalm continue. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you, who seizes your infants and dashes them. Against the rocks. You see, they're saying, I don't know who it's going to be, but somebody is going to get you back and you will receive retribution. This is this is the psalmist asking for justice. It's asking for retribution. It's asking God to do something. You know, the Hebrew word for remember is not the way we use it. We use it to think back on. You know, I remember that vacation or I remember that time in life. The Hebrew word for remember is actually a call to action. 
It's literally the psalmist saying, God, do something. Pay them back for what they have done. Remember us. I grew up in Texas. Everybody, whether you grew up there or not, knows about the Alamo. And you know that after the Alamo, the Texans did end up winning their independence. And what was their battle cry when they won their independence? Remember the Alamo. It was a call to action. God, the psalmist is saying, you do something. This is a community lament, y'all. Psalm 137 is a community prayer that was sung by God's people to give them expression to the emotions of sadness and of anger. So the question is, what about us? What are we supposed to do with this strange psalm? And I would say with this as our guide, we should be honest, we should pray, and we should remember. If I don't get anywhere else with you this morning, I simply want to plead with you as Christians to be honest with yourselves, with your spouse, with your children, and with God about your emotions. According to the Bible, the full and rich and complete and biblical Christian life will include extended and prolonged periods of sadness and grief, and I would suggest anger. And some of us in here just simply need to know that the Bible talks about weeping. This word weep here is used five times in the Bible, and three of them are done by our Savior Jesus. It's in the Bible. And, and there is room for differences in personalities. I know that some of you in here uh, are more emotional than others. And some of you in here wear your emotions a little bit more out there. But there is no room in the Christian life to say that we are not supposed to be sad and we're not supposed to be angry. Uh, I read a book uh, a few years ago. It's a real small book. It's called Mudhouse Sabbath. And in this book, Lauren Winter describes uh, chapter by chapter some of the things that the Christian faith can learn and benefit from the Jewish tradition. It's a fascinating book. And so she talks about food and how we have a lot to learn from the Jewish tradition about food. And, and she talks about the body and what we can learn. And she has a chapter in there on sadness and grief and mourning. And she makes the point that we have a lot to learn from the Jewish tradition about grief and sadness. And in Psalm 137, we see that the people of God had, a, had room in their worship to express emotions like sadness and anger. And so my question for you is this. Is there room in your life? Do you have space in your life as a Christian to express emotions of sadness? Um, two places where I would suggest that you might consider having that space would be in your worship and in your prayers. Do we sing songs that allow us to express accurately the highs and lows of the Christian life? 
Do we? That's a, that's a real question for us to consider. Are we expressing the whole life as a Christian in the songs that we sing? I would suggest to you that the world around us knows how to express sadness and how to express anger. If you listen to the songs of our culture, they get it. And somehow I think the Christian church has, has misinterpreted the concept of hope and joy to say that we should never express emotions of sadness. Another place that I would suggest you might find room for this would be your prayer life. Is there room in your prayers, whether they're corporate or to yourself, in silent or out loud, to express sadness and grief over brokenness in the world or even just loss in your own life? There is precedent for you to do that in the Bible. Now, what about anger? Are, are we being honest about our anger? The Bible's honest. Are we being honest? Everybody in here gets angry, but do you have room in your Christian life to express the emotion? Now, this is tricky because you and I know that there are verses in the New Testament like, in your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. And so we have interpreted these verses, I'm afraid, to say don't get angry. And that's not actually what it says. It says, in your anger, do not sin. And I would just interpret those verses to say that not all anger is sin. I would say that it probably means, watch out, be very careful, because it's very hard for you and I to be angry and not sin. And I think that's true. Most anger is about traffic and long lines and children that won't obey. But after reading the Psalms, I'm convinced, and the New Testament, I'm convinced and I conclude that God wants us to be honest with our emotions of anger. And there is such a thing as righteous anger. And there should be room in our prayers for anger at sin, at evil, at suffering, at injustice, at sickness and death. If you read the paper, if you look at the world in July of 2011, you should be angry at the injustice that is going on in our world right now. Am I not right to say that if you look around us, that power often wins over what's right, that influence and money often seems to win out over what is right. We, we should be angry that people get away with crimes, terrible crimes, that on the surface at least it looks like that evil wins sometimes. And we should pray this anger to God and ask Him to remember. Let me close this morning with this. We ought to remember as well that God has actually done something. Something has happened since Psalm 137 was written, y'all. We actually have information that the psalmist did not. And this event, I would suggest to you, has completely changed the way we ought to think and pray our emotions. And it's this. 
that in real space and time, God the Father allowed his little child to be dashed to the ground. And then after three days, he rose up from the ground to the right hand of the Father. And one day, he will come back and he will rule and reign as the rightful king in the new heavens and the new earth. This ought to change the way that we think about sadness. Because now we are actually commanded in Romans to weep with those who weep. It really says that. We're commanded to not quote them Romans 8.28, but to weep with those who weep. But you all know what else it says. It says we don't cry, we don't weep as those who are without hope completely. When Jesus was literally steps away from dying, he said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then he was killed. But the moment that he rose from the dead, he inaugurated a new world order, a new way of living for those who are part of his kingdom. And it started, you know, in seed form. But one day it will cover this entire world. And Jesus meant that in his kingdom, all things sad will come untrue. This kingdom is not yet fully realized. And this world that we live in is utterly broken. And things do not work the way that they should. So we ought to be sad. But we know that one day Jesus will make all things right. And he will wipe away every tear. And there will be no more sadness. So we weep with those who weep. And we grieve that the world is not restored yet. But we hope that it will one day be. This changes the way we think about anger too. In a couple ways. First with respect to our unrighteous anger. I would say that you and I need to be honest about it. I would say that that God is not calling you and I to stuff it inside. Um, We have precedent from the Psalms and elsewhere to, to be honest about our unrighteous anger, even though it is sin. Pray it to God and remember that that's the very sin that actually held Jesus to the cross. That your and my anger is the very thing that caused him to die. And with respect to our righteous anger, which I hope that you, are, you will discover room for, over injustice, sin, evil, sickness, and death. The psalmist asked for justice on the Edomites. But we know that justice was meted out on somebody else. The psalmist asked for retribution, payback on the Babylonians. And we know that retribution was paid in full on someone else. Christians are to be angry at injustice. We're called to pray for God's justice. And even, I would suggest, be agents of that justice in this lifetime. But we know that God has poured out his vengeance on his son so that we don't have to seek it on others. On the cross, 
the justice and the love and mercy of God kiss. And we now have the resources to be angry, but to not sin. God has dealt the final blow to evil and injustice by absorbing it on himself and taking the hit. And now we can seek justice in this world without asking for retribution. We pray simply, God, thy kingdom come. God, thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Let us be honest about our emotions. Let us pray them to God. And let us remember the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we call to mind the moment in time when your justice and your mercy were most clearly displayed for the world to see. And that was when, God, your Son, your only Son, absorbed the hit and took the blow for us. So that now we are free to be honest about our emotions. We are free to bring them to you in prayer. And I ask that we would, in those moments, call to mind and remember that, God, you've done something that changes everything. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.